Welcome to the More Equity Podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is a diversity-focused, early-stage venture capital fund based in New York. We're on the mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. In this season of the podcast, we're speaking with diverse angel investors and having them share their journey and lessons learned along the way. Follow along as Tana Abaze leads the conversation. Black founders need more risk capital. If we don't have the ability to invest in startups, particularly founded by Black founders early enough, they'll never exist. They'll die trying to become the next big thing. A lot of founders will tell you their angels have been some of the most helpful investors, even though they have oftentimes a smaller check. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Tono Abase, Venture Fellow at Harlan Capital. In this season, I'll be uncovering the tips and tricks to being a successful angel investor from your favorite founders, operators, and venture capitalists. Today, I'll be talking to Savitri Wilson, two-time author and founder and CEO of Resilia, a venture-backed startup revolutionizing how nonprofits are maintained and how enterprises scale impact. In this episode, you'll hear about how Savitri's journey of starting a company at 22 led her to angel investing and realizing the importance of angel investors for diverse founders and the startup ecosystem. Savitri touches on the different channels she uses to source investment deal flow and deploy capital, plus how to maintain balance between angel investing and your full-time job. Savitri, thank you so much for joining us on the Harlem Capital More Equity podcast for our Angel Investor Series. We're super excited to share your story today and appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. So before we hop in, we just want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are for those who don't know you. Savitri Wilson is the founder and CEO of a technology startup, Resilia, founded in 2016. Headquartered in New Orleans with a second office in New York, Resilia is revolutionizing how nonprofits are created and maintained and how enterprises scale impact. The company has raised over $10 million in venture capital to date and has been named to VentureBeat's top startups to watch out for in 2019. In September 2020, Savitri was named a rising star on the Forbes Cloud 100 list on Inc. Magazine's 100 Female Founders Building World-Changing Companies, and to PitchBook's 27 Leading Black Founders and Inventor list. Now, this isn't Savitri's first company. Prior to Resilia, she founded Solid Ground Innovations, a strategic communications agency, and authored Solid Ground, How I Built a Seven-Figure Company at 22 with Zero Capital. Her book spent six weeks at number one on Amazon in the startup category. And actually, I believe there's been some updates since a second book has come out. So hopefully Savitri can tell us a little bit about that as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be on and to talk a little bit about investing. So obviously we've read the background, we see the bio, the LinkedIn, but can you tell us a little bit more about who you are? Where did you go to school? What did you want to do when you grew up? And did you imagine it being where you are today? A hundred percent not. So I'm from a small town called Hammond, Louisiana, about 40 minutes outside of New Orleans. My mother's from New Orleans. My father's from Hammond. So I grew up just going back and forth between those two cities. I'm a first generation college student. So neither of my parents finished college and my father owned a construction cement company. And so I grew up very much so surrounded by people who, though they didn't go off to college, they wanted 
need to have education. My father actually passed away very young. And so I didn't get to really see that business drive and how he was working with his um, employees and team members. But I do feel that their spirit is really ingrained in me. I mean, I feel that when people say is entrepreneurship, who you become, is it nurture or nature? I think it's a, a lot of both. And I do feel like I have my father's entrepreneur spirit. I went off to college, went to LSU for undergrad. When I was there, just learned about so many different other sectors and got pulled into journalism and history, actually. So that tells you how far apart I am from where I am now. And just met so many people along the way. One particular person, Dr. Leonard Moore, who now is at UT Austin. And he was like, when you do things that you love and passionate about, you don't watch the clock. And I remember being 18 and just hearing that, thinking, oh, I'm going to build a life and a career that I'm really passionate about, that I want to get up and do every single day. And so my journey, as I graduated undergrad, I went to grad school. But in that time period, I was working for an organization called CASA, so Court Appointed Special Advocates, primarily for children who have been in and out of foster care. And we were creating a campaign to really begin to get more Black male volunteers. So although the majority of the foster um, children were Black boys, the majority of volunteers were actually white women. And so we began to create this campaign to really get more Black male volunteers. And I had went to LSU for undergrad. And so I began to ping some of my friends who at this time, LSU was like dominating sports, like football, SEC champions. We were at college final four, you name it. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get some of these athletes to be the face of this campaign to attract more Black male volunteers. And in doing that, it actually led me into a career of philanthropy and working with philanthropists and football boosters and creating their um, volunteerism programs to their foundations, their family foundations. And that led me to start my first company, Solid Ground Innovations. And so we were a strategic communications and management agency, heavily focusing on nonprofits and large philanthropic organizations, not only supporting building out their curriculum and design, but also who they gave money to, how they gave money, what initiatives they gave to. And then we also provided technical assistance and capacity support to the organizations that they supported. So how do you go beyond just giving money? And so all of that actually is what led me to start a tech company because I started thinking about ways we could productize our services that we were offering. And if anyone's that worked in the nonprofit philanthropy space, the technology has been very antiquated and dated. So how could we evolve technology and thus help people have a greater impact than what we could have done as consultants? And that gave the rise to Resilia which is a SaaS technology platform working across the double-sided market. On one side, we support uh, nonprofit organizations, so helping them manage their day-to-day, providing them resources, education, courses, webinars on demand inside the platform, and then funders who were hiring us as consultants to deliver these services. And so essentially growing up in the space has led me to where I am today. Well, you certainly had a transformational journey, and it's clear that at the beginning, you didn't know that you were going to hold many of the roles and the titles you hold today. I mean, you're a founder, you're an operator in the philanthropy space, and you're also an angel investor. So did you know what angel investing was when you were growing up? 
when did that term come into your life and when did you start? No, I did not know what an angel, I didn't know what a lot of things were growing up. Just because going back to exposure, I grew up in a very small town. I didn't live in like a tech ecosystem. And also being in the deep South, there's an absence of funding, right? And so you don't really come across investors, particularly not in tech. You do now, but not when I was growing up. And so for me, I had to learn via exposure. And that's how I began to find out about investing. At Harlem Capital, we often say that investing is a contact sport and you learn by doing. So I'd be interested in hearing from the moment you heard about angel investing to where you are today, how did you come up the curve and what did that journey look like from a non-traditional technology hub? As many people are used to learning in Silicon Valley. Yes. So for me, I remember my first investment. Um, it was like $5,000. A friend of mine um, and colleague who we, we worked in business before was saying, hey, I am creating this new app and this product that I'm going to sell into universities and I'm seeking um, investors for it. And I think his minimum investment was probably like $2,500, $1,000, right? So super early. And he sent me the safe agreement to look at. I didn't know what I was looking at. I was, like, I was like, what is this? He was like, well, you know, this is an early investment. So you would basically just be investing in this person because you believe in him and you guys have done business together. Um, and that was my first investment. So I want to pull a couple of things out of what you said that were so illuminating for understanding how accessible angel investing can be. You were an angel investor before you were a founder. So you don't need to be a founder to be able to get into this ecosystem. Number two, you sourced your first deal from your own community. So when you're not living in a technology hub and you may not have access to large amounts of deal flow, looking within your own surroundings, who do you see in your community that you trust their work ethic, that you can make that early bet? So there's a lot of conversations around should startup founders become angel investors or not. But I actually started investing prior to me starting my tech company, because as I mentioned, I had had some success with my first company, Solid Ground, that gave me enough liquidity to be able to maneuver in ways that I had before. I began to get exposed to investing because I had this document I needed to figure out how to understand it and what exactly I was doing. Um, and so I reached out to my attorney and then he was like, oh, you should connect with this hub called Idea Village in New Orleans. And so that was like a tech ecosystem. And so I started meeting with people there and they started telling me more about it, places and spaces that I could go and read more information like Y Combinator. And that's really what led me on the journey to really start investing. It really was just basically being exposed to it. And the second way I got into investing is when I decided that I was going to take my own liquid capital and invest in my own startup, right? <laughs> I learned a whole bunch about investing <laughs> uh, by just investing in Resilia when it was um, not even called Resilia and just to get it off the ground into a minimum viable product before we went out to raise from actual investors. So I also learned by the practice of doing myself and creating a product that would eventually go out and seek investment. What I also love is that you talked about the community that you surrounded yourself with to learn about angel investing. I know you mentioned Idea Village, so it's really a call out to some of our listeners that if you do live in a place that's not a tech hub, there may be other small communities within your city that are focused on startups, that are focused on investing. I guess it would be helpful to take a step back, especially as you say you learn by doing and clearly through community, 
who has taught you the most about angel investing so far and how did you meet them? So I would say my angels have taught me the most about angel investing. So the angels that are actually in my round, I remember very distinctly, very early on in my startup uh, journey, going out to upstate New York and going to this event hosted by Chloe Capital. And so they were actually doing a training for angel investors and they had companies come out and pitch. I was actually on the other side pitching, right? But I got to sit in some of the sessions coaching and teaching other angels. And, you know, we had the agenda. So I was like sneaking in sessions, sitting down, listening in, you know, with my double agenda. <laughs> and so I'm taking notes. I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. And I'm learning and I'm learning more. Really being inside of those angel networks and learning from angels and those networks that come together. There's so many different angel networks, but I remember distinctly that Chloe Capital meeting in upstate New York because I came there to pitch and I was learning a lot about angel investing along the way. (laughs) You never know where you're going to learn something new along the way, but I really want to dive into that. There's not that many people who have had the unique opportunity to be on both sides of the table. People who are looking to be aspiring angel investors can learn a lot from your perspective as a founder who's raised money from angels, been an angel and connected with your own. When you think about the capital that you've taken, what makes you want to work with an angel investor? What value have they brought to your company specifically and how did those checks impact your growth? Yes, I think when you think about angels, a lot of founders will tell you sometimes their angels have been some of the most helpful investors, even though they have oftentimes a smaller check. When I think about how I show up as an angel and how I try to be resourceful, I think about how can you play a larger role independent of just like the monetary value that you bring to the company, context or introductions you can make. And, you know, when you're early and you're an early founder, you're just like, okay, who has the checks? (laughs) And you're not, and sometimes you're even, you're thinking less about the value outside the monetary gift than you are about just trying to get that check in the door. But I do think that founders should think about how can I actually utilize this investor and then not just be another line on my cap table? How can I activate them? Because most angels do want to be activated and because they're your best ambassador, particularly when they first put the check into your company. And they are also looking for ways to help you Oftentimes when you're taking on angels who are new at investing, you are definitely going to have to help them help you, right? To understand what does this mean and how they can be of resource to you. So the value of being an angel investor is more than the numerical digits on the check. I want to flip the script a little bit and ask you when you're an angel investor, what do you see as your role? What are some of the channels in which you look to provide value? And what are some of the interesting ways that you've seen angel investors provide value using their background. Yes. And so when I make an investment, I'm always thinking about who's in my Rolodex, right? Who can I make an introduction to even my investors, right? How can, if they're going to need to raise more money. And so I might think about, oh, I'm coming in with a check, but can I do a syndicate for you? So can I bring in other angels around me who via me writing a check that they might also be enticed to write a check? When you go out and raise a next round, how can I then leverage the investors who I've come in contact with, or even my own larger investors to support your next round and raise? Immediately, I just start thinking about the connectivity, right, that I can make on day one, or even helping that 
a company get to like close, right? Because I'll invest in companies in lieu of a lead. I'll invest in companies when they haven't circled the entire round. And so I'm always strategically trying to help in the progress of that. And then also immediately after. And when I think about my angels and how they have helped me, it has been the same thing, you know, making introductions. And let me tell you, not all your angels are going to do this. Some of your angels are really just going to be a check, right? <laughs> and that's their commitment to the work, to you building the company. And that's as much as they will want to do or can do. But for those angels that you can truly leverage, really understanding how they can help you gain traction in your company via revenue, via introductions. That's how I've I've leveraged my angels for sure. So it's exciting to hear about how you bring value. I want to level set for our audience a little bit. As an angel investor, do you have a specific thesis, a certain industry that you pull your operational expertise to invest in? How do you approach your sourcing and diligence process for your investment thesis? You know, I will say... It's changed over time. I was talking to my uh, wealth manager and we just kind of did like a recap from how I used to invest versus what I'm thinking now. And so like five years ago, I was on the complete opposite of conservatives. I was like the riskiest investor (laughs) you could probably find. And that's because I'm a big believer in investing in people and investing early. And that's truly taken from my own experience as being a founder and really needing um, people to like bet on me early on. But as I have matured in investing, I've now invested in more funds and have become an LP in more funds and trying to reduce that direct responsibility that I have and time that I have to give to individual companies. And so it's like, let me let these managing partners who raise these funds, <laughs> let me invest in you so you can do what you do and you go out and find <laughs> these great portfolio companies. But I haven't stopped also investing directly into startups. I try to stay with inside of my space, which is enterprise SaaS, but I have ventured out. So I remember seeing Denise Woodard, who is the founder and CEO of Partake Foods and Cookies at a South by Southwest. And she was pitching, right? And I was like, oh, she's great. She's awesome. She's going to be like super successful. And I remember thinking, oh, I need to invest in her company. And then time passed by. I was like, wait, what happened? She just announced around Jay-Z led. And I missed that early on, but I ended up being able to get into her C round still ahead of her series. And, you know, it's those type of instances where I go a little bit outside of my thesis because the founder, I believe like in the founder being so great. Now that we understand your thesis, I want to break down the ways that you invest. So you mentioned syndicates, you mentioned being an LP in some venture funds, and you also mentioned investing directly. Can you give us a little bit of a definition of how those three buckets are different? Absolutely. So limited partner, I am a limited partner in now four, about to be five funds. The majority of them are definitely tech focused, also focused around investing in minority um, started companies and startups, um, like Collab Capital, I'm an LP in there. I also have investments into two real estate funds as well. And essentially these management partners, they buy commercial property. And so I learned a lot about like hospitality, commercial property along my journey at some point in time and started investing alongside those investments as well. So LP, limited partner in funds. 
and syndicate is say that it takes a minimum of $250,000 to come into a fund or startup. It depends on what you're looking at. I've done syndicates for both a fund as well as a startup. And so say this founder has $250,000 left in their round. I say, okay, I could put in $25,000. Let me go out and try to help you find the rest. And so I can reach out to my network and I use a, a instrument very simple through the Cypress Fund, which is the LLC that I started, where angels will invest $10,000, $20,000, $25,000, you know, whatever they have so that we can close that gap together. And so now we come onto that cap table for that startup as the Cypress Fund, or sometimes I go in with other syndicates as well. And so it really is a kind of consortium of small checks and angels who come together to invest. And so that's definitely the syndicate side, just directly investing in startups. That's just writing a check, you know, just write a check into a startup and hopefully it's impactful enough to help get them to that next milestone. Well, thank you so much for breaking that down for our audience. I think it will definitely be helpful as people consider what area they want to pursue first, or maybe they're already directly investing and are now looking to scale by becoming an LP or starting to get involved with some syndicates. You talked about angel investing being risky when you first started, but overall it is a risky sport. So why do you angel invest? What has been the most rewarding part for you? And how do you see this as a channel for the impact you're trying to make? I became an angel investor early on because someone asked me to invest in their company. That's the easiest answer. I became a serious angel investor because I was a founder. I got a lot of no's and I knew how important it was that when I had the ability to invest more that I do so and that I do so early on in the startup world, particularly for Black founders. And so I often talk about this from perspective of Black founders need early investments and they need risk capital. When we think about, say, our white male counterparts and how they're able to raise capital, they're able to go out and raise through their friends and family. They're able to go raise through their network, this early, early risky capital. And when we see them having their seed for a couple million dollars or series A for a couple million dollars, it's because their first 500,000 to a million came from just like their network circle and it allowed them to test and discover and to try to get a product in market and to create an MVP and all of these things, right? And so if we don't have the ability to invest in startups, particularly founded by uh, Black founders early enough, they'll never exist. They'll die trying to become the next big thing. So I really am a believer of investing even when you know you can like risk it all. And I think that anyone investing should have the mentality that, yeah, you can lose your money. And oftentimes most startups do fail make smart bets on really smart founders. That's really my thesis. That's really the biggest part of why I invest and who I invest in. So you've talked about having a founder-driven thesis. I think it would be helpful to understand for you, what distinguishes a type of founder that you're willing to back? What qualities are you looking for that make you feel like this is a good place to put your capital to have impact? Yeah. I mean, a great founder has just done their homework 
they've done their homework on you and what makes you a great angel um, investor for them. They've done their homework on their sector, their market, their ability to, with this capital, go to market in a way that will gain traction. They're competent in a way that makes you feel confidence in their ability to execute. Because a lot of times, a lot of this is execution and having the type of leadership that can build and put together teams that can stay lean enough, that can stretch out resources long enough, that can go out and begin to corral new investors with the support of other angels along the way to get the job done and build a scalable, great thriving company. And so when I think about the idea of being, you know, founder first related to like my thesis of investment, those are the things that I think about. And you can tell when founders know what they're talking about and when it's like, what is going on here? This conversation, <laughs> you got to go do some more homework <laughs> before we get on this call. Because <laughs> I've been on calls with founders I've met for the first time via introduction. And I came in thinking that, okay, you know, maybe I'll make an investment, maybe not. And got off the call and invested $15,000 more than what I had intended to or would have intended to because the founder was just that impactful and gave you such a deliberate presentation, a very clear and concise plan for the future and did so in a way that made me compelled to invest. And so that's why I always say, you know, I know people say that, you know, you have friends and family, but you get in front of the right angel investors and you're able to tell that narrative and that story and how you're going to get from A to B, people will invest in you. I mean, being a founder yourself, you obviously have a bit of a cheat code or kind of the inside (laughs) track to knowing how to kind of scope out good founders. But, you know, I think that no matter how much experience you have going in, there's always something to learn from the journey. So I'd be interested to hear from you. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced while being an angel investor and some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? Some of the biggest lessons that I learned is that I also need outside deal flow. I was very hush-hush about angel investing. I didn't really talk about it and tell people about it. But what I found when I started talking to other people who were also angel investing, particularly who were also like founders, we started sharing deal flow and they would then begin to bring me deal flow. And so what I realized was the importance of getting in great hot deals and deals that otherwise I wouldn't know about until I saw the TechCrunch article come out. And we're like, wait, how did, how did I miss that one, right? And so the importance of like deal flow and getting that deal flow from whether that's other funds or other um, angels and being able to like source those type of deals. You know, also getting out of my own way because I'm such an empath at heart that I'm like, man, I really want to invest in this company, right? But it may not be the right time for me to invest or the right company for me to invest on. But, you know, thought it's like they're tugging at my heartstrings. I'm just like, man, I feel you. I feel where you're coming from. <laughs> All those things that I've just got to learn about my style, what I want to commit to doing each year and what has to be in my portfolio from year to year. Like a Black female founder, which, you know, I've always invested in Black female founders, but, you know, that's like a, without them in my portfolio every year, like that's like a deal breaker for me. That's going to happen no matter what. I love that unique and really human perspective to investing and everybody has their own style. So you have to figure out your balance of emotion and empathy to data driven and really looking at the numbers. But one of the things you mentioned that's pretty universal to everybody as a challenge is sourcing. 
everybody needs it. Everybody has to be able to get that deal flow. So from the moment you talk to other angels and realize that that was something that you needed, were there any tricks, tips that you did around sourcing that you can share with our audience for understanding how to really augment your deal flow? Yes. I mean, the basics of getting out there and meeting people, getting inside of these networks and understanding like who, whether that's in your community or nearby communities, because, you know, I'm in New Orleans right now, but I consider I have relationships in Atlanta, in New York. And so how can I tap into those communities and let them know that I am investing and here are the opportunities that I'm looking for. I definitely feel that, you know, one of the reasons why I hadn't been vocal also was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to wake up to like a LinkedIn inbox to a hundred messages saying, can you read my pitch deck? And knowing that I'm actually still running a company and I don't want them to be let down because I didn't respond. And so how can I get deal flow without doing like a call for all, but creating very curated groups and networks to be able to get it? <laughs> I love what you said about curation because it very much segues to the topic of balance. I mean, the truth is, most people who are angel investors don't have the luxury of doing it full time. I mean, if you do, that's wonderful, but that's not necessarily all of our audience. And it's certainly not you. You're an author, you're an entrepreneur. I'm sure personally do mentoring, volunteering. How do you balance angel investing with all of your other commitments? How do you set goals for yourself while also keeping track of the fact that you wear multiple hats? Yeah, I mean, that was really one of the reasons why I started investing or becoming an LP, but you definitely have to have balance. And for me, you know, at this point, I have almost 20 investments. I'm always thinking about, okay, have I reached my ceiling <laughs> on what and what I could do? So like, even I have like assistant on my SGI side and on uh, my personal side, and I'm just always having them like monitor my deals or somebody emails me ensure that I can get back to them with a contact or I have to make an introduction, ensuring that I have the information in front of me. Because when you only have like five deals or you've only invested five, it's like easier and you can kind of put your hand on everything. When you have more, it does become a lot more to manage. I think managing expectations is important and just staying alert. So I saw one of my portfolio companies is in Tulsa, um, for Tulsa 100th anniversary, and they're doing like, this huge event around a book. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I need to share this with my network and push people to this link. And so I think about those things, just like, what are things I can do, like low-hanging fruit that I can also do for my investments? But ultimately, you definitely have to stay on top of it because you are going to just end up as you know, just online on the cap table. And for some investments, that's just what it is. Again, I want to like reiterate, sometimes you are just <laughs> an investment <laughs> and that's okay. Particularly with funds, they're like, okay, we need you. We'll reach out to you to help some of the our portfolio companies, but otherwise you let them handle it. I try to just find balance in knowing that I've become as organized as I probably can at this point, but also I'll think about, oh, let me do a scan and see how can I bring value just from an email that I receive, a Q3 email or something of that nature. But you definitely have to figure out the balance part of it. When you're not focused on investing day to day, you're doing it based on opportunities that are coming your way. And you're doing it based on this overall goal or like mission, because I think angel investing for me is like a mission. I don't want to be a VC. And so I think that some people might be angel investing right now because maybe some one day they want to be a VC once they exit the company or whatever. Savitra Wilson never wants to be a VC. So I had to create balance, you know, knowing this. 
overall balance is unique to the person. But for you, it definitely sounds like it's multifaceted. It comes from one, knowing your overall mission and the fact that you're not looking to become a VC, but angel investing is part of your mission and ethos. It's also getting to scale, whether that means bringing on an assistant, going through the LP route so that you're investing in funds. But lastly, it's managing expectations, both for founders and for yourself, that you can't necessarily be there for everybody. You can't spread yourself thin, but looking for those areas of, as you said, low-hanging fruit where you can add impact and you can add opportunity if you're staying alert. Yeah, I'm just like talking it out because you asked me the question. I'm actually talking out in real time in my head. Like, oh, okay, let me see how I do this. <laughs> One of the things that's really wonderful about you, Savitri, is that you've put out multiple resources to the community, whether it's one of your two books, multiple playbooks, different guides that you offer that really help people understand how they can get to where you are. So I want to ask if you could give a piece of advice to yourself or people who are just starting angel investing today, what would that advice be? Pace yourself, right? It's definitely a journey. I also believe don't get caught up in FOMO, the fear of missing out because there are going to be other opportunities. That's probably the best advice I can give because sometimes people go so hard in the paint early on. They're like, man, I wish I would have waited a little bit to do this, this, and this deal. So get your plan, whatever that looks like for a year. Don't feel like you have this fear of missing out on something and opportunities will come. Put yourself in the right spaces and places. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I know that you have a book that's recently come out. All of our audience listeners, you can hear more from Savitri through her book, Resilient, and also through her previous book, Solid Ground. It's been amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the Harlem Capital More Equity Podcast. Make sure to catch our other episodes in the Angel Investor Series. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, be sure to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time.